Hey guys, Brian Beeler, welcome to the podcast. We've got a good conversation, I hope, we're about to have with uh, Supermicro today. Of course, Supermicro's got uh, designs for quite literally everyone and everything, and so we'll get into some of that, what's going on over there at, uh, at their shop, and to get us fired up, we've got uh, Michael McNerney from Supermicro. Michael, how you doing? Very good, Brian. How are you? Uh, well, look, we're, we're just trying to stay cool here, so we're filming this in the, in the lower layer of the storage view office in our basement where it's uh, uh, nice and, and uh, chilly, which is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of a, I prefer heat to cold, dark, and wet, but yes, we can. <laughs> People are complaining about the heat of all. I'd, I'd rather do that than be in the dark and the rain and stuff like that. Well, we don't have the dark. We have sunshine in the Midwest. How dare you Californiaites besmirch the Midwest? Yes. Everything's relative, right? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. So, Michael, for everyone that doesn't know you, tell us a little bit about your role over at Supermicro. Yeah, so I, I'm here at Supermicro. I've been running um, a variety of sort of solutions, marketing, and security functions. I'm currently responsible for, for all marketing and security and network security here at Supermicro. You know, well, so you've got two pretty big baskets to work with security. We can't go but a couple days without seeing some ransomware something or, or you know, BitLocker or someone getting attacked by whatever. What, what is uh, the latest perspective that you guys have on, on security at a high level? Yeah, I mean, there, there's no, the high level is really simple, right? It's like, it's super important and it covers every aspect of our business, right? And the devil's in the details, right? If you drill down into how we build our products, how we manufacture our products, you know, how we run our operations, um, you know, security has to sort of transcend and, and integrate across those pieces, right? So I think everyone is feeling that same, um, you know, that same pressure in terms of, you know, driving to higher and higher levels of security, you know, making those investments and and sort of, I think being able to look across <clears throat> those pillars and saying, hey, how do we make sure, how do we ensure we're running, you know, sort of best in class, you know, security across our, our products, our our production and our, our sort of our own services. Well, how do you reconcile that? Because obviously as a hardware equipment manufacturer, you've got security in your own processes, right? As you functionally build these things, you've got security that you must have to audit from component providers to ensure that their practices as you integrate their, their chips or pieces or fans or you know everything, right, is, is important. You've yep. got distribution security. I mean, that's all the physical bit to get it from uh, raw materials to a product that you deliver to your customer. How much of the security concern in the enterprise is that process versus, you know, did some employee double click on a on a bad link and and now we've got a uh, a ransomware breach in in the system? Certainly, the the latter is the is seems to be the easier route, right? But you can't dismiss the the former's, right? So um, you know, tightening those security pieces, it, it's the traditional multi layer security approach, right? So we look at security at sort of every level of the enterprise, you know, every intersection to you know external parties, internal parties, um, and and just you know try to prioritize where those layers are which are the ones we really want to protect the most um, and, and then, you know, put those plans in place, execute. And then, as you know, just, you're just continuing to improve it, right? The security that was okay in 2021 isn't in 2022, right? We got to continue to evolve that 
And, um, and we do that across all of our, like I said, our, our products and infrastructure. What does that mean? Are there new physical attack vectors that uh, I don't build servers, so I don't know how this, yeah, yeah. How this works. What does a new attack vector look like on the physical side? I wouldn't say they're necessarily new. It's just, you know, you're continuing to build the fence higher or the wall okay. higher, right? Every year people are trying to figure out how do we do more of these things? How do we get to these, you know, these different pieces and, um, and, you know, when there's a when there's a will, there's a way. Right. So there's all these pieces just have to continually be improved. Yeah, it's interesting. We had uh, a guy from Eaton on a couple of weeks ago, did a podcast and he was talking specifically about some of the not quite legacy systems, but older control boards that are on devices like UPSs and PDUs in the data center, how they can be uh, an at risk element that it's not necessarily yeah, if you're rolling in a brand new server today, like you say, you're going to have the latest and greatest of, of whatever you can provide from a security standpoint. Uh, but a lot of this IT infrastructure sticks around for a long, long time in the data center and can be a, uh, a higher risk entry point for someone that does get access to the network to kind of sniff around and see what's out there communicating. I mean, I suppose I don't really have a question <laughs> there for you, but no, it's, you... it's the classic weakest link, right? It's, yeah, the problem is the weakest link, right? It's not. Oh, I got this new service. I built it super secure. It's the old print server that's sitting there. That ah, we'll update that someday. Um, you know, those are the kinds of issues you got to watch out for. That's why you need the guys from Office Space to go take a baseball bat and to beat the snot out of your uh, your photocopier every now and then just to modernize the equipment. Exactly. Uh, so speaking of modernizing equipment, I mean, you guys are a perpetual announcement machine, uh, adopting accelerators, processors, flash drives, whatever is coming out over over time. And uh, I know you guys did a lot at Computex. You were showing off the uh, the ruler servers there and showing some of the modularity of your GPU servers. Yeah. With with CPU refreshes likely uh, this fall. What are you excited about? What what gets you guys jazzed up from a hardware perspective these days? Yeah, I, I think the the sort of excitement in the hardware space is just the 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 sort of you know continued fundamental improvements in the hardware, you know, driving kind of entirely new levels of service, right? So when you look at uh, you know, when you look at every angle of performance in the hardware space, they're all going up and to the right, right? It's like everything is improving dramatically. Um, everything is moving really fast. Uh, you know, the addition of, you know, with more competition in the market, right, we see, you know, you're going to see more pressure to get product out to market from from a lot of the, you know, a lot of the vendors. So, you know, we're, we're continuing to sort of stay on top of that, Uh um, in delivering those new products out to market and, you know, for the customers who can take advantage of it, you know, it's, it's clearly sort of competitive advantage, right? So, uh, you know, if I can do these things with more efficient storage, more efficient, um, you know, power costs, all of those pieces, um, you know, your enterprise is going to be more successful. And so we see there's a lot of opportunity right now in sort of that hardware innovation, um, you know, everything is just continuing to, you know, double, Moore's law, you know, all these things are just continuing to drive out into the market space. Um, and as a vendor, I think our big role for our customers is, you know, trying to arbitrate some of that stuff, trying to identify, well, what's, you know, what should I be using for this kind of workload? 
how do I, you know, what I get all these different options from all these different vendors, um, you know, please try to rationalize them for us, right? And so that seems to be, you know, more and more of a role we're playing with our customers is that that sort of trusted advisor role of, okay, there's a lot of, you know, IPUs, DPUs, CPUs, GPUs, you know, all the different letters of the alphabet, you know, what's really sort of ready for prime time. <laughs> uh, I do not envy the task because you, you just listed some of the alphabet soup, but we're in the midst of within a few months talking about things like CXL. We're talking about PCIe 5 and what that means for storage, for SSDs, uh, for all the new capabilities there. And all by the way, we don't have infinite lanes, so where do we put them? And does Gen 5 go to the front, back, all the places? And if so, like what are all those implications? We've got form factors and SSDs. I mean, you guys have been playing in, in E1S, E1L, and you know what Intel called ruler before then for, yep. for years, but we've got uh, E3S this time, uh, which looks like a, another potential form factor. And then, all the other challenges around connectivity, Ethernet, fiber is still a, a serious conversation. Uh, you mentioned DPUs, so how do we take advantage of, of something like Bluefield or some of these bespoke uh, uh, DPUs that are available out there? I mean, your, your teams must be either crazy or almost there in trying to, to suss through all of this, right? Yeah, no, it's definitely, like I said, it's a good time uh, in hardware, right? So it's not, you know, sort of a single monotonous, okay, we're going to put a new product out every two years. Um, there's just so much innovation happening. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of sort of breakaway opportunity for, for customers who can identify, you know, the right technology for their business, right? It's like, how is this going to move forward? Um, you know, we're excited to see the ES stuff come out, you know, getting a form factor that's optimized for SSD, just makes a ton of sense, right? It's like, why are we in two and a half inch? Well, that's what the drive, that's what the spinning drive is like. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, um, so seeing those things come out and some of the efficiencies we can build into those form factors uh, in terms of airflow, um, et cetera, are, are really gonna help the systems designs move forward. So we're, we think it's, a, it's sort of an exciting time in hardware. I mean, people talk uh, about, I think this idea of a, sort of white box server or whatever is is kind of long since passed, right? You don't get a sort of a general server. I'm just going to use this general purpose server. It's going to do everything. It's going to do, there's so much optimization available that, um, that the successful customers are sort of building out their infrastructure, you know, specifically for their workload and able to achieve, you know, cost, performance, efficiency, you know, based on that sort of, that, that sort of top-down design. Yeah, well, I mean, for guys like you that have had a, a history of making sort of designs that encompass all of these technologies so that your customers can be wherever they, they want to be on that, that spectrum, uh, you know, I suppose you guys might even have to do some editing in portfolio, right, <laughs> this time around to, to kind of lock in on, on a few concepts. I don't know, I mean, that must be a, a perpetual challenge, but with so many choices right now, it feels, a bit crazy to, to architect a system for all of them, right? Can't be done. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we continue to focus on commonality, right? So we call building blocks, essentially. It's like, how can we build, you know, the subsystems that then, you know, we can, we can sort of build up into larger systems and make those subsystems reusable across multiple architectures, 
across multiple designs. And so though, you know, we might have hundreds of different, you know, offerings, we're building that off of a core set of building blocks that we're able to, um, you know, reuse, test, validate, um, and, and sort of leverage. So the more designs we do, the sort of better the building blocks get. And so the whole systems, you know, all the systems sort of improve over time. Um, it's a little bit different way of doing it. it and like you said, I think in this environment, it's played out pretty well for us because we're used to building a lot of product. Um, and now that there's all these options out there, that's that sort of plays to our strength. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, so we saw the universal GPU server you guys launched back at Supercompute last year, I think, at, at, in uh, St. Louis, or at least that was the, the first time I, I saw it hands-on. Vic gave us a tour of it. But even yep. then, we couldn't, we couldn't quite pry it open and, and see the inside bits. I understand it was early. Um, at Computex, though, you guys were showing that server off again, and, and really interesting um, because we clipped out a little bit of the video where the the socketed NVIDIA board gets lifted out and then you know, yeah. conceivably you could put in something else there. I mean, that's not exactly the modularity you were talking about because I think you're talking about mostly your components, but that kind of stuff and even I guess even that main board, you could have Intel or pull that out and drop an AMD in there without, um, I mean, you wouldn't do that in the field, but it does give you that platform then where it's a lot easier maybe to switch out those components, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I think when we talk about building blocks, a lot of times we're talking about our own components, but it really does sort of play out up the stack. And so the, the big lesson for us right now, and this is what we did some of this work with IDC was, um, you know, customers are looking at, you know, I've got a specific workload, how do I build an infrastructure that supports that specific workload, right? And how do I optimize it? And how do I do, do I use a different CPU? Do I do a different GPU? Do I need more memory, less memory? You know, how do I get that system and that system design that sort of is best serving my workload? Um, I, I look at it as sort of the, the custom suit metaphor, right? So you think about an off-the-rack suit versus a custom suit and, oh, what custom suits are expensive. Uh, in the case with Intel, which we did with this white paper was, um, you know, Intel's buying 350,000 custom suits. Right? So, so all of a sudden that custom suit becomes, you know, very sort of optimized for their workload, you know, very specific what they do. And the idea that it's expensive to buy a custom suit when you're running at scale it's actually, you know, it's inefficient to not have the custom suit, right? To not have the optimized infrastructure and not to be using some sort of average offering, some sort of, well, this should work for your workload pretty much, uh, but not be sort of, you know, tailor-made for it. Well, you talked about some applications dictating hardware decisions, and I think that's you know, sort of a classical way of looking at, at uh, infrastructure. But we've looked... <laughs> I mean, we've looked at these things in the past, and, the, and enterprise IT, as you well know, goes through these cycles, not even hype cycles, they're legit cycles. Like uh, five years ago, hyperconverged infrastructure was going to take all of our applications and throw them together, um, which it did effectively for many applications, but not all. But we still have some tier zero business critical databases or transactional something or other, but that needs to be on some other kind of hardware. And then we've got this AI or HPC initiative, and that needs to be on a on another set of hardware because the other two hardwares we had weren't aren't aren't GPU ready and high speed uh, networking and everything else we need. Um, 
just listening to you talk a little bit, it makes me feel like we're that uh, that conglomeration of everything coming together that we were talking a lot about five years ago, maybe whether it's on prem or in the cloud, maybe starting to be outgrown as as necessarily the right answer for most enterprises. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think for us, where we're seeing value, where our customers are seeing value is in that optimizing infrastructure. So, um, you know, we look at this case with Intel, where the Intel IT department, you know, 98% of their infrastructure is focused on chip design, right? <laughs> running workloads, working on chip design, you know, 2% of it is running standard, 2 to 3% is running their standard IT operational pieces, right? And so being able to really optimize that set of workloads for, you know, not just, you know, not just at the hardware level, but the entire stack all the way up through, you know, management software, through application software, um, you know, libraries, infrastructure, you know, all those pieces sort of come in, you know, to build out that, that architecture. And I think the big overarching trend is just this move towards software defined, right? So, um, you know, software-defined everything is, is really coming into place. I mean, you you see it in your your core storage market, right? Where before everything was based on, you know, proprietary boxes with proprietary software, and we would update these boxes when we were sort of, you know, we had to rebuild the entire stack. And now the software-defined storage market is, you know, you're seeing these, these companies come out and define, you know, storage architectures and storage applications that really can sort of take advantage of these different um, hardware capabilities, be it the, you know, E3S stuff, uh, you know, be it a lot of the DPU architectures, you know, all these pieces. Think about how long that would take to reach market in sort of the traditional storage market. And now there's probably, you know, 10 startups working on, you know, something to do with the DPU stuff and probably more, frankly. And so I think that's the, that's really the overarching model is this whole software-defined marketplace, you know, open source, software-defined architectures running on, you know, sort of optimized hardware is really where we're seeing just a ton of value get created. So you guys being in the hardware business, you see where all the hardware is going, which is an interesting uh, level of visibility. Uh, Obviously, cloud continues to be a massive investment area uh, for you and your competitors that provide uh, systems and, and, and such for the cloud providers. What are you seeing in terms of traditional uh, channel sales to the you know, enterprise, et cetera, versus cloud investment? Are you, because I think you would have an interesting perspective there in terms of where the workloads are going. Yeah, I, I think that you know, what we're seeing essentially is like everything is transitioned to a cloud architecture. And, you know, everything is transitioned to this open source architecture or this sort of software-defined architecture. And so we, you know, we see people running internal IT environments. We see, yeah, big cloud providers providing, you know, cloud infrastructure. But everything is sort of getting architected around sort of a common, you know, scale-out, um, you know, highly reliable, highly efficient architecture. And, you know, what is a cloud architecture versus a non-cloud architecture? Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that's a super productive conversation, but we just, I, I think, and the way we see this is like everyone's building out, you know, cloud architectures, um, even within their own data centers. And, 
uh, you know, is that sort of IT as a service? How does that look? You know, really sort of depends. But you know, we were this this white paper we did. You know, they're talking to the guys at Twitter, right? And they're building out you know cloud. They're building out their service, you know, based on sort of these on-prem cloud architectures. And and how do they build that out? And so, is that a cloud? I, I think so. <laughs> so I, I think we we've, we've just seen this sort of generalization of cloud across you know the majority of IT workloads and anyone sort of building stuff on a modern architecture is kind of building it on a cloud is there still some legacy you know we talked about earlier legacy tends to stay around a long time but you know anything being anything new being built is largely being built around these cloud architectures and i think sort of falls into that category well, uh, yeah, we, we typically think about cloud as Azure, GCP, AWS, the public clouds where their business model is to perhaps support their own initiatives, but then to make money off of reselling these services to the market, right? But I think you bring up an interesting point, you know, because when we look at the big software as a service guys specifically, uh, but more than that, I mean, Twitter, uh, Salesforce, other big, big software companies that are building clouds just for their own internal consumption. It, it sounds like that's a model that you're seeing more of. Is that driving all the way down into the enterprise and, and smaller orgs or kind of where is that uh, oil water line where, where perhaps it's too much of an endeavor for uh, a business to participate in? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the, um, that, is the, that is the sort of trend we see, right? I think you're, and, you know, one of the things I think we we sort of look at is you know, when you look at the big three cloud providers, um, there is sort of this momentum like, oh, everything's moving to public cloud. You know, it's just a matter of time until everything, you know, everyone's going to move their workloads to public cloud. Um, but then we go out to our customers and we hear sort of a completely different message, right? You know, and, and some of the IDC numbers here that we published were pretty interesting, right? So they're still seeing, you know, you know, over half the IT budgets are going to be on-prem, you know, for the foreseeable future. I think they said five years. You know, 70% of the people they talked to is a couple thousand people. You know, they were moving stuff off public cloud back to on-prem infrastructures, right? And so, so I think this idea of, you know, cloud is public cloud, I think is, is a little bit of a, is, you know, it's a little bit too specific, right? I think cloud is an architecture, you know, based on, like we said, you know, open source, Linux, you know, they've just done tremendous things there in the past um, that any enterprise can take advantage of, right? And um, does it make sense to, to go out and use a public cloud? Sort of workload dependent, we see a lot of people doing like early dev in public cloud, and then it comes to deploy at scale. Um, you know, I can do that more efficiently uh, in-house than I could, you know, in a public cloud architecture. And, you know, where's that, you know, where's the line between, um, does it make sense for me to sort of outsource my, my infrastructure? Uh, you know, I sort of point back to that, the Intel example, right? Where, you know, 3% of their IT infrastructure is, you know, standard sort of workloads, ERP, et cetera. You know, 97% is the core of their business, right? <laughs> so it's like, at what point does it make sense to run the core of your business, you know, outside of your business? I, I, I think that's a, um, it sort of depends on what kind of timeline you're thinking of. By that. But for most enterprises, I think you want to own your business. Well, talk about that a little bit more because I think one of the, the reasons, well, people went to the cloud initially because it was easy. It was friction-free largely, 
or at least prospectively, <laughs> and they could meter cost on on uh, on opex instead of capex. So whatever financing uh, models are in vogue at the time helped dictate those some of those decisions, right? Yep. Um, but the cloud is also really good for certain things like going out and snagging a GPU for a little while because that may not be in your organization as easy as it sounds, right? To go stand up something that has a couple A100s or whatever in it. I mean, that's a substantial investment. If I'm going to bring that on-prem and toy around with it um, to, to learn, to figure out how AI can be uh, productive for my business versus, and maybe that's what you're saying, is go to the cloud, learn, get access to the equipment that you need, but when you're ready to take this to market, then maybe that's the right time to make some sort of substantial investment in your own infrastructure. I think that's that's one of the examples you see out there is people doing dev, you know, doing some dev, do some tests on the cloud. We see sort of capacity on demand issues, right? Hey, I'm going to have a peak and, you know, I want to move. I don't want the ability to sort of meet those peaks with with, you know, on demand cloud architectures. So there's a there's a real convenience factor there of of public cloud and um we, we definitely see that. I think the market sees that. It's just sort of, you know, at what cost? Um, you know, one of my favorite AI stories is I ran into a, a startup doing AI work and they were trying to get some servers from us and trying to hit me up for some servers. And I'm like, well, why don't you just, and they're like, no, we're deploying, you know, the plan is to deploy on public cloud. It's like, oh, well, why, why aren't you dev on public cloud? He's like, well, it's like super expensive. <laughs> I can buy one server just, just from you, wait till your app two gets servers from you, and I can throw all my dev at it, and you know we can run workloads overnight. And every time we do a you know a new run of the model, it doesn't cost us money. It just costs us you know it's just the server it's sitting there. And so, um, so it's sort of this interesting sort of ironic moment where I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. I'm developing for the public cloud that I'm going to do all the dev in-house. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of ironic. But yeah, so I think that's the, mo that's certainly there's a convenience factor there people are seeing on the public cloud space that, uh, and I think we as an industry need to do better there, right? You know, we've, the, 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 the complexity it takes to roll out some of these, um, these architectures and infrastructures, right? I can go to Amazon, I can put my credit card in, I can get a fully functional stack. Um, you know, I want to do that myself. It's like, you know, okay, where do I even start? <laughs> where do I go? How do I get there? Um, you know, we still see people sort of, you know, coloing things, obviously, um, for, for efficiency. And I still control my infrastructure, but I don't necessarily have a, you know, have my own data center. Um, there's, there's a sort of shades of gray um, here, but, uh, but we see those, 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 those sort of deployments as, um, as sort of you know having different benefits for different different times in the life cycle. So you know the other thing is we look at some of these popular workloads like AI. So you might do uh, your training in the data center or in the cloud, but then your inferencing may oftentimes retail is a great example. Uh, resource exploration. There's all sorts of others where you would push that out to the edge. Yep. What What are you guys seeing? Uh, this is such a, a popular theme right now. But what are you seeing at the uh, at the edge in terms of how these infrastructures are being deployed, uh, what that looks like, and I guess even to define the edge further, because you guys touch so much of it, the industrial edge, you know, 5G, whatever. I'm talking about high value sort of configurations in retail that, that's doing 
AI yeah, yeah. kind I of think, workload. So I, I think the really, you know, the 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 move towards, um, you know, again, I, I don't want to sound like a broker, the move towards software defined in the edge is really exciting, right? If you look at traditional telco infrastructure for 5G, you know, that was all built out by these large telco OEMs. They built the software, they built the hardware, they built, and now when you see things like OpenRAN, Open Radio Networks, you know, all these pieces are sort of moving to this. So you're you're getting this whole generation of, you know, edge systems that look a lot like a cloud architect and, and really unleashing, you know, innovation. And so we're able to bring a lot more power into that. You know, we're dropping GPUs into the edge so we don't have to move data. We can improve latency um, and deliver some more, you know, quasi real-time services, though, uh, you know, the, the autonomous driving guys will, will tell you what, what it takes to really do autonomous or really do, um, you know, real time in that space. But I think there's some really, um, you know, interesting applications that are sort of enabled through, you know, bringing that data center class hardware out to, you know, out to the edge and, and making it maintainable, um, making it serviceable and, you know, and leveraging sort of the economics of, of that sort of x86 architecture. You talked about um, security, which is early on, which is important at the edge, but the, the serviceability is, an, is another one that you, you just mentioned there that you may not have IT people on site or you might have uh, data scientists on site that become pseudo IT people or no one at all. And, and you have to be able to withstand you know, some degree of failure until somebody can get out there and, and do the repair. I mean, as you think about what goes into that from an engineering standpoint, is and we've got some of your edge stuff right now. We've got a uh, one of your uh, 2U3 node guys, uh, real dense little box. What do you have to do, or what do you, what's different for the edge when you guys think about what you have to do there from a reliability standpoint? You know, the serviceability really comes into that sort of like building out. I mean, that's what the big, when you think about the telco OEMs, you know, central office infrastructures. I mean, they sort of define serviceability and reliability, right? It was like, I think they used to design them so those things could catch on fire and still operate, right? So it's like, there's a level there. Um, you know, a lot of that is built up into the software layers, right? So we said, hey, how do we, how do we architect this from a software layer where we move, you know, modules in? You talk about sort of a multi-node system. That's a classic sort of reliability play, both, you know, in the HCI space where I've got, you know, backup. Um, as well as out on the edge where I can have redundant servers out there. Um, it's, a, it's a hard problem to solve, um, you know, but I think people have gotten really smart at this at the software layer in terms of, you know, um, you know zero shared data, you know, all of these pieces that, that are being built into the, the, um, the shared nothing architectures that are getting built out in these environments. Um, but I, I, I don't know if there's necessarily an easy way to do it I just think it's, um, I think as we look at the sort of the, the quality of, of the, you know, sort of the traditional x86 ecosystem, right, just based on the volumes, right, driving, um, you know, higher and higher quality for, you know, memory, CPU, all these architectures, I, I think improves things. But I, I don't know if there's any, any silver bullet here in terms of, oh, we're going to get so much better quality and resiliency um, i just think people recognize it as you know everyone's using these systems all the time you know nothing can sort of have a have a maintenance cycle anymore 
Well, I mean, I th a big part of it's got to be thermals, right? Because these systems, I mean, your 5G systems would go hang off of a pole. <laughs> Talk about low maintenance. There's, yeah. there's not, there's, there's not a, a, a guy climbing the pole every day to, to make sure that the, that the box is nice and cool. And, and oftentimes it's, it's very much not. Yeah. Um, in retail, these things are going in a back office oftentimes where maybe physical security is a bigger concern than, than anything else. They've got to be kind of locked away and, and maybe in an office that's not extra air condu conditioned, uh, conducive for, for these environments, or they're dusty or, or whatever. So I mean, the, uh, the physical challenges, I, th I think, that probably assault your boxes at the edge may be worse than, than anything. Yeah, I think you know the interesting things there is you know we we do a lot of work on on data center efficiency and trying to help people you know build more efficient data centers. It's kind of one of our you know you know beyond our financial goals, like the idea is like how do we sort of make sure what we're doing doesn't necessarily kill the planet. Um, and you know one of our first things we say to a lot of data centers customers we talk with is like, what are you running your inlet temperatures at? And you can turn that up from ten to twenty degrees. <laughs> like, what do you yeah, mean? They're running like, too. They're running too cold, right? They're running too cold. I mean, they and back in the day, right? And I, I don't want to date myself, but you know, back in the day, the you know, keeping the IT infrastructure running was a real, uh, you know, was a very sensitive, you know, a very sort of like, uh, you know, sensitive environment. And you know, these systems over time have just become you know much more robust. So when we look at the the performance, you know, we have long-term performance data in terms of, you know, systems running at higher temperatures, and we're just not seeing lower reliability on it, right? And so, um, and this, this, well, I've always kept my my data center at sixty-eight degrees, and and it's like, well, why, <laughs> why did you do that? Um, and the answers are typically, well, we've always done it that way, and so, um, you know, trying to move some of those, um, you know, some of those pieces. I think the you know you come back to the edge with these very specific you know you need fanless dustless you know environments and systems built to these things. I think what what really gets interesting there and, and we're we're out at Embedded World this week um, showing off some of the new systems is you know what you can get into that fanless dustless environment is you know a multi-core processor with you know quite a bit of memory on it and so. You know, it turns into an application platform where traditionally, you know, at the edge, you could have very little compute power. Um, and just like you see in the data center, those edge boxes are getting, you know, tremendous amount of capabilities, you know, almost for free, right? Because it's like, listen, we've, we're building these new processors and they're going faster. We're building this memory. It's getting bigger, cheaper, you know, higher performance. And so that, that entire edge box, which used to be, well, hey, I got to make this thing to fit into this space, it's got to have all these thermal characteristics. It's got to have this, and you're like, okay, well, I can still give you, you know, eight cores and, uh, you know, and 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 memory to to write real code in, uh, has really sort of helped there. Well, you talk about some of the advancements in technologies, and we talked early on about Gen Five and CXL and and all this other stuff coming from Nvidia, uh, AMD. All these guys, a lot of a lot of great stuff. Every single one of those things I just mentioned adds heat to these systems, and and so that's a big challenge. We've talked a lot lately about liquid cooling. I know you guys have had uh, loops in your blade systems. I know you've done it in in some of your others as well. 
What's, uh, what's the latest perspective from uh, Supermicro on liquid cooling? What, what does that look like? Is that HPC still too early for enterprise? Like, what, what are you seeing from, from what you guys are selling? You know, I think at the end of the day, you know, as we look longer term, the, you know, liquid is just a more effective way to cool than air, right? So, you know, at the end, what's the more efficient system? And I'm always a fan that the, the industry always drives towards the efficiency, right? So they're always going to reach that point where, you know, and, and I, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but... I mean, I think we're talking about, you know, the ability of liquid to sort of dissipate heat versus air is like, you know, the numbers are crazy, you know, hundreds of times higher, um, et cetera. And so, so we, so at some point, you know, personally, I'm like this, the end game seems like, Hey, things are going to go liquid. Um, and then as you mentioned, you know, as we add more circuitry into the memory, into the CPUs, into the GPUs, that's all driving higher and higher, um, um, temperatures, right? Higher TDPs, um, higher TKs, all of these pieces are sort of coming into play. And you bring liquid into that um, in that equation and it, and it solves, you know, sort of a lot of issues of moving air around and doing some stuff. There certainly is challenges, I think, with the with the sort of average data center to be, <laughs> you're bringing liquid into my data center, like, you know, what are you talking about, right? So I, I don't think there's a, there's a, um, you know, we'll see it roll out over time, um, but for the larger clusters, for the larger data centers, um, you know, you're going to see you know liquid get adopted, you know, more and more as we we move forward, and especially as these, like you said, the new technologies come out, which are going to require more power, which you know, which again generate more heat, and um, you know, liquid's a good way to sort of to get rid of these things, and just the efficiency of it. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I think as we look at the, you know, the, the crack systems to cool everything, um, you know, I think there's some interesting reliability arguments to make around liquid, where most people are seeing as liquid as like a, as potentially a liability, um, just, you know, being able to contain that heat in a simpler system, you know, with less, uh, you know, less components and less infrastructure is ultimately going to be more reliable and more, more cost efficient. Yeah, I mean, less electricity consumed, right, per, per device. And uh, the, the key, I think, too, is yeah, this has been successful in HPC environments that are often at universities that have a big green initiative, that have uh, sometimes a, a footprint issue. So, you know, liquid can help there as well, but also have the wherewithal to take that heat and, and do something else with it, right, to, to recapture that energy and you know, heat a pool or, or whatever the other other popular yeah. ideas are. No, we've, we've got some customers out there in the Netherlands, like, you know, heating the city <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> with right. their data centers. Right. And it's it's a it's pretty cool to see, um, you know, what you can do with excess heat. Um, and especially I mean, I I don't know the physics of it that well, but I think this, you know, when it's in a liquid form, it's a little bit easier to contain and control and then and then reuse. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. So that that's interesting. Well, I think uh, it's steam engine, right? <laughs> some some sort of basic concept, or hey, I can move water around as it is for higher temperature, and and there's some interesting things there. Right. So I think most people think about you guys as a hardware vendor, and we've spent a lot of time talking about that. But you did drop in some some software nuggets and concepts along the way too. I know I've worked with. Uh, 
uh, Ocampo on your team and some others around what you guys are doing with uh, Super Cloud Composer, which is which is pretty cool. Um, also, some of your uh, your open designs where you're putting together reference architectures, but also you know working with customers to install software to to make those things come to life. What what is the latest uh, uh, true vision for for Supermicro in terms of you know, obviously everyone knows you for hardware, but how much of the company is a software company at this point? Yeah, it's, a, it's depending on which engineers you talk to around <laughs> here, right? So, yes, I mean, I think Supermicro is considered sort of a hardware vendor, but when you look at all the software that it takes to, to run that hardware, um, you know, it's BIOS, it's BMC, it's management tools that run on top of that. So, you know, we've literally tripled our software staff over the last two years um, just uh, just because of all of those requirements, right? And, and a lot of that manageability piece, um, you know, reliability, we talked about the security stuff, you know, security doesn't fix itself by itself, right? So, you know, bringing in that, that sort of whole function across the organization. So, yeah, so there's a, I, I don't think that, um, I think when you look at today's modern hardware, there's a huge sort of you know infrastructure software that actually runs, operates, and maintains you know those pieces. As we look to fix things, we typically fix them. You know, we run into bugs, we fix it in BIOS, right? We fix it in BMC um, versus you know coming in and trying to you know relay out boards. So there's a there's a tremendous software investment. It's a little bit hidden from the the typical market, right? You start a server up, you say, okay, great. And there's some screens that maybe pop up at the beginning, but there's a lot of software, a lot of you know computers within the computer, um, you know, operating and running to to deliver that. So I brought up your GPU server, which is is one of the things we think is pretty cool that you guys are doing. Um, you obviously have uh, you know, many different uh, x86 systems. Is there something else that you guys are working on, or or that um, you want people to know about that maybe they don't? Uh, don't know that Supermicro is working on or perhaps a system that you love that maybe uh, doesn't get the uh, attention it deserves. Leave us with, uh, with, yeah. with a, a piece of hardware that people should be checking out when they go hit your website. Yeah, no, I think that I think the GPU portfolio stuff is is really compelling right now, right? It's a it's a classic sort of workload optimized market. You know, you talked about training, you talked about inferencing, um, you know, if we're talking about uh, you know, we're talking about different ways of, you know, digital twins or rendering or, you know, online gaming, you know, all of these pieces, um, there's not sort of a one size fits all. And so we've really spent a lot of time, you know, going out and building that portfolio of GPU systems that really matches those different workloads. And it, it's kind of fun to see uh, you know, if you just go look at the GPU product page, like, okay, hang on, you know, there's all these different GPU systems. What am I actually doing? Why is, why is there so many options? And it's, as you get into it, you realize, well, because there's different workloads and those, those workloads do things. And it's really easy to see in the GPU space just because it's, you know, very specific hardware, um, you know, are you running, uh, you know, how many GPUs you're running in a box, you know, what are you trying to do with them, et cetera. So I think it's a, uh, I think that's to me is really sort of the fun space is just, you know, go out there and try to understand the GPU portfolio. <laughs> I know that maybe isn't the best thing for the marketing guy to say, but 
it's um it's just you know that it's just there's a lot of stuff there and and it might make people think about well what can i actually do with that that optimized hardware well i think as the marketing guy here here's your challenge for gpus right is to to take all the offerings from nvidia intel amd and whoever else is coming around the corner and you got to get them all in a decision tree like a choose your own adventure because there's here's a here's a dozen or more offerings from these guys and what is the workload because it very much matters too it's not just the box that you put them in it's these each one of these cards is just a little bit different you know at the edge, a T4 versus an A2. Just because A2 is the newest doesn't mean it's the best for, for all of these workloads. And it is a absolute bear to sort through um, you know, an A30 or an A40 or whatever. It's just so complicated to understand that. And then again, it may not matter because <laughs> you just get down to what's available in the channel to purchase and you sure. may have limited choice. But man, if somebody could come up with that decision matrix across all these enterprise GPUs, I think that would be something. No, and I, 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 to me, I would, I would chat. I mean, I'm, 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 maybe I'm, I'm sort of a geek at this front, but actually, it's, it's the opportunity, right? Okay. Whatever you want to say, 18, 24 months ago, there was only one choice. Right? <laughs> it was yeah. like easy. Hey, I'm going to deploy that for this. I'm going to deploy this for that. And now there's all this variety. Um, you know, needless to say, that's going to have an impact on cost, right? As long as, you know, Cost competitiveness drives cost. So there's a lot of really interesting things to do. So I know the frustration is, oh, just give me the easy answer, right? Can I just have a single vendor who delivers everything for me? Um, but you know, we're I think you're in sort of this a little bit of a golden age right now on the hardware front, where there's just so many options to take advantage of. Um, you know, it, those decisions can make really big impacts on the business. Well, not that you guys were ever not selling hardware, but this move of, of uh, companies building their own clouds and, and more organizations engaging in on-prem and edge infrastructure. I mean, the market's coming to you. So this is a great time, especially as we're upon this threshold of a, of a massive uh, uh, refresh in, in CPUs and all the enablement that they bring. I mean, it's a, it's a great time to be there. So we're looking forward to, to seeing what you guys come out with next. And can't wait to see uh, the, the rest of the portfolios that emerges later this year. Yeah, yeah. It'll be an exciting time. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the pod. We appreciate it, Michael. Right, thanks, Brian.